Heaton, I scrolled through Instagram for an hour and a half last night. And that was the first time that I'd ever scrolled that long on a social media platform and kind of hate myself. So that's what's going on with my life. And I bet you don't know that that relates to the topic we're going to talk about today because Interesting. Instagram was born out of a pivot. Welcome to Tradeoffs, where product habits Heaton Shaw and Profit Wells Patrick Campbell discuss tech through a product first mindset to inspire you to think differently. This week, they talk about pivoting. Hindsight is not a pivot. So you can hindsight a pivot for sure, but like it's a conscious decision to make a change based on learnings. Categories. No one can tell you the category name is correct. No one can tell you that. Demand. At the end of the day, no demand, no business. So I think finding demand is really going to be the most valuable thing. And much more. People will hopefully hear it as soon as they can in their learning cycle, basically. What's going on, man? How are things? Things great. I, I I announced that we actually officially pivoted. FYI, you officially pivoted. Yeah. The now thing it's real because I, I told like twenty five thousand people on an email list, right? There you go. Well, that's how it works, right? It's not yeah. real until you announce it on an email list and on socials, right? Yeah, and like I didn't think much of it. It was just time, and I wanted to send an email because I haven't been sending emails to the product habits list, and and Marie and I have been busy, and so so tell we us, let people know, tell us where you were and what you pivoted to, because I also need to make sure I know the level to which we're talking about this. I don't think you like fully announced what you're doing. Did you? No, this will be the first time anywhere. Oh, so you are announcing. Okay, cool. Not fully, not fully. So, so yeah, yeah. So that's why I want you to tell us what I happened. Appreciate where it. were I appreciate you? It. Where are you? Just so I know the depth. I appreciate of it. I appreciate it. Thank you, Patrick. Always knowing more than, than we should. We were an enterprise search tool that helped people find documents across cloud services, very focused on employees and employees adopting it, and even personally people using it. Things were actually great. And you know some of this, uh, and I've shared a lot of this before. But for everybody listening, things were great in the sense that we found a really unique way to solve the problem of finding documents when you need to find them. And this was right before COVID, working on getting enterprise adoption. Things were actually going well at the time with enterprise adoption, but there were a few things that we couldn't see or understand without just more cycles of talking to organizations. The short of it is nobody owns collaboration and productivity inside of an organization. That's the short of it. No single person or even department owns that. You would assume CIO or somebody else or COO or somebody like that owns it. No, they don't really own employee productivity at all. They own tooling. They own operations, but they don't own employee productivity. In fact, nobody does. So that means that when companies are looking to improve tooling and collaboration across the entire organization, they form committees because everyone in the org is impacted. So every department is represented, basically. Those committees usually lead to nowhere. So we were in a lot of committee conversations where companies had committees and they wanted to talk to us about collaboration tools, including ours, and they were just exploring. And some of them, the best of the best, had presentations where they were mapping things and evaluating things and all that. But literally, every conversation went cold the second the virus showed up in our lives. And that made us really think hard about what we should be doing. And we had this back of the pocket thing that was designed for IT and InfoSec teams because we knew we wanted to build tools for them as well on top of the sort of cloud tools we were building, partly because they are gatekeepers in an organization for tools. 
even today, even with SaaS sprawl and bring your own tool and all those concepts in freemium, I think there's a lot of shifts happening where IT is getting more responsibility around some of this stuff and more control over it. So basically what we pivoted into is essentially a cybersecurity product focused on protecting company information from unauthorized access. And that's literally our tagline, protect company information from unauthorized access. It's what's going to show up on the new homepage and all that kind of stuff. We also have a new brand that I know you know about, but no one else is going to know about it for a while, a couple of weeks at least. And we're just going to do a little soft launch of it because we're not ready to do a bigger launch, but we're ready to say that we're not an enterprise search tool anymore. And we're kind of transitioned into essentially a cybersecurity tool. Yeah. And just to, just to maybe take some lessons from that, that overview or some questions that hopefully bring lessons. So one, everything, the committee conversations stopped when COVID hit because it's productivity collaboration tools, you would inherently think that that would actually increase with COVID. So I'm assuming, and this is kind of a question, but also kind of like true or false, (laughs) I guess a prompt. It's basically because you just didn't have that decision maker. Like there was no set decision maker. Committees don't have a lot of authority. They give recommendations, but they don't have And then the priorities change the second there's an existential event that was unexpected and one that had an unknown timeline. So basically companies were not willing to put budget into the committee and the problems the committees were designed to solve. So they might have formed other committees and solved other problems, but they weren't in the same construct anymore. So before it was like, hey, we formed this committee because we have a lot of tools in the organization and we need to figure out which ones we're going to keep and if we need any new ones, which ones we're going to get. But we need to do that as an organization. That's usually why these committees get formed and they were being formed. The problem is the folks we were talking to often were HR um, or some department head or somebody who's just ninja at figuring out tooling in the company and evaluating tools who was running the process. And usually those are relatively cross-functional folks that are able to give us a lot of info. So we were gathering a lot of info, learning a lot about how people think about evaluating options and all that. We were even starting to help companies plan out some of this stuff. Then the priorities just completely shifted. And more importantly, if you follow the money, the second it hit, everyone changed to cost savings mode temporarily, right? And then some had to do that permanently. Obviously, usually most non-tech companies or companies that were servicing restaurants and SMBs have had massive shifts and issues. But at the end of the day, like on average, like the budget's just tanked, right? So do they want to evaluate new tools at that time? No, unless those new tools were focused on the urgent need that they had. So collaboration and productivity is never an urgent need for an organization. Yeah. Or rarely, I should say. I think so that, that's, that's that's basically what the that's unpacking the of it is. Yeah. And that's the big lesson because I think that for you, I think you would have picked up on this already. But if I was like a first time founder, um, which I am technically, but I at least have gone through some of the rodeo now. So I think I would hopefully recognize this. Ten, ten years time, gives you a lot of experience, dude, even if it's just yeah, one company, man. Come on. Totally. Give yourself some credit, please. I know. I know. I'm trying. It's a decade plus. First man. time early founder first time, I would have kept going because I would have kept getting a lot of this signal, a lot of the signal of like the committee, even with the pandemic, I'd be like, well, people are going to need this. It's just like a four week thing, the fluke, right? You know how we all rationalize ourselves. And I think the big lesson I would say for anyone listening is like, no, where is the money coming from? Like you don't have to monetize right away. You can go freemium. You and I love freemium, all that kind of stuff. But like you have to know where it's going to come from eventually and think through that in the customer development stage. Can't wait until you have all this traction to figure that out because you might have built something that is 
really popular, but never becomes an actual business. The ironic thing and the funny thing about it for us was, and we haven't announced this in, well, for a bit, but we actually like announced specifics, but we actually raised money in April of last year for the Shh, business. Don't tell anyone. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead. So we raised money for the business on the opportunity that we had figured out on enterprise search. And then essentially I was willing to say pivot internally by August. And I say willing because in the beginning I was like, this is not a pivot. This is not a pivot. This is not a pivot. And the reason is I just wasn't sure because the foot was still in enterprise search, one foot, and the other foot was in the other thing, trying to figure out what, which foot is going to come back or forth, right? Then it turns out like by August, it was both feet in this other thing, right? And then we were just off to the races of just building something for this use case, which is very different than the original use case. But from a pivot standpoint, what is a pivot? Because I know that's on everyone's minds all the time. I've done a bunch of tweets asking people what a pivot is. For me, I would literally just look up the definition Eric Reese gives about a pivot because he essentially coined and popularized the term as far as I know. And he's the one that essentially personally taught me what a pivot is with some of the dumb questions I was asking him, what, 10 years ago now or whatever about this stuff when I didn't know what I know today. And so the definition of a pivot I'm going to butcher, but the idea is that you change one thing. So in our case, like it was similar tech. It's definitely evolved a lot now, but the initial tech was similar. And so we, we went from targeting employees to targeting basically IT and information security departments. So how but do you the define... product was fundamentally very similar to start with is, is a way to like think about it. So that was a customer pivot more so than a product pivot. And then it evolved into just building the right things for that new customer that we found. So what, what is our definition here of pivot? You kind of just, just to be super clear based on what you just said. A conscious change of direction rooted in learnings. Hindsight is not a pivot. So you can hindsight a pivot for sure, but like it's a conscious decision to make a change based on learnings. That's not a hindsight. Pivot. And a change so, change on product, change on target. Usually you want to change one, one thing. The definition is you change one thing and you can call it a pivot. But again, this is just strict definitions. At the end of the no, day- No, no, no. I'm just, what I'm trying to get everything's at very messy. it's not like, yeah. it's not like, oh, I added this feature and I'm going up market a little Absolutely bit. Absolutely not. No, it's product, not quite that, or like core customer, basically. I think, yeah. So, or our core customer maybe. changed. So, for us, our core customer changed, and the product and tech at the end of the day, even today, I can still claim it's similar and explain why. But the customer yeah. changed. So, the needs of what the product needed to deliver for them is different now. So, the product looks very different now at, at this point. In fact, even the reason we got into it is such a great story. It's literally someone was looking in our enterprise search interface and they found people because our our interface was always focused on people, which is one of our unique selling points back then and probably still. And they found people that shouldn't have access to their docs and they freaked out and didn't have a way to manage that. And they told us they stayed up a night or the weekend or whatever. You know, that was the the That's way cool. they said it, obviously they didn't do that in order to remove people from these documents. And we didn't provide any help for that except give them the visibility. That's awesome. In in the enterprise search tool. So it was a true like, take the learning and figure out what to do based on the learning, right? And it was a behavior we discovered that people were doing in the enterprise search app that was a very nascent and a minority of people were doing the behavior, but it was such a core painful reaction 
to what they were able to see from our tool that we're like, wait, hold on. This is almost unreal as to what this thing is able to let you do, even though it was never designed for that. So it's a little bit of a classic. We didn't design it for that. People started using it for that. And then we just shifted completely into that. So from that perspective, you could call it a product pivot. But the problem is it was more of a narrowing in on the product side. So I'd rather call it a customer pivot because we sell to IT departments and info security teams now. We don't sell to the employee at the moment. And we're not building today a bottom-up business, which is what we were going to do with the enterprise search product. Because what's so hard with a pivot, and this is just, I think it's just life in general, right, is making the choice based on limited data. So I think for you, you're in the middle of this, even in a little bit of hindsight, you're like, okay, we keep talking to these committees, where's the money? Like every time I ask about budget, something comes up and then all of a sudden I have this behavior that's like, clearly bells are going off. Like I stayed up all night, even if they didn't actually do it, like the fact that they're thinking about it like that and they're paranoid, that's a great indication of a good product potential, right? So I guess like, how did you think about this? And I can talk about how we thought about it. How do you know of like, okay, we're fundamentally shifting the direction of the company. And, and for you, and I don't know how deep you want to get into this, this means a very different like go-to-market model. This means a very different probably engineering framework, like probably not that different, but like the application of the engineering. No, it was, all, it, was all, it was all different. It was all different. Everything's it, it's very all, it's different. All, now, now that we're in, in, totally, and we're going to be a year in in a few months, like, no, it, it's very different. Like and, it's not and, quite, and, and, it's not quite Slack pivoting from a video game, so, but it's so, like not that far yeah, off, right? So that's the, that's a thing. The way I think about it is it's all based on customer demand. So for Slack, it wasn't based on demand. Like games always have demand, so fine. But then their pivot wasn't demand based. It was literally, uh, we have this problem and we think other people have this problem and we think we've solved it in a unique way. That's the way, I don't know what happened internally, but that's the way I would describe what I know about their pivot. So it was almost not a pivot. It was a jump. Got I wouldn't it. call Slack's thing, if someone were to like really push me, I would say, well, like, there's nothing you learned in the gaming thing yeah, that helped you build this. It you was, could it was argue, so tangential that they you could argue, kind of woke up and gave up on it, yeah. You could argue and say, actually, it was a pivot because they were building that communication tool, at least this is part yeah. of the story, while they were building the game in t- for internal communication and decided to pivot into a, diff- a completely different product, right? Okay, fine. But at the end of the day, like the way that you all need to think about it, everybody, all of us, is where is the demand? Is it in the thing we're doing today or the thing we're thinking about pivoting into? That's really what it is. Without demand, you have nothing. So what we realize with the enterprise search is there's employee demand, like incredible employee demand. But there is no organizational alignment and true organizational demand. So you're still going team by team. But if you go team by team with enterprise search, it's a slog. Like, like that's even what I said when, in the email. It's like, it was a dead end because it's a slog. It wasn't worth the time and energy. So it's not that I believe we couldn't have made what we were doing successful somehow if we continued. It was the amount of effort it would have taken compared to what we started seeing with the demand here. And if you focus on demand in the market, your effort gets paid back in spades. And when you don't focus on demand, you're just pushing up, like you're pushing up the hill way too slowly. You might still get there. It's just going to take a lot longer usually if there's no demand because you have to create it and meet it and find it. Well, if you found something with demand 
and it's sitting right there, like that behavior that person was doing in the enterprise search tool, that's demand. Yeah. And that's people using the product in a way it was never intended to be used. I think the other thing there, though, that's interesting is that there's an element of you're still going to have to do some TAM sizing, right? Because Always. Yep. you have a higher coefficient of demand with the enterprise person, low coefficient with the general user, I guess. Um, let's sure. just put it that way. Sure. General user market, much, much larger, theoretically. Theoretically. Well, theoretically, just because a little bit more bottoms up versus a top down from an enterprise type sale. But like, you're still going to get into a lot of those companies, right? So maybe the initial velocity will feel a little slower, but the outcome velocity will be a much higher. So you kind of have to do these calculations too, because there's plenty of conversations of like, they want to use our product in this way, right? Like we've all had those conversations. Of a good course, product and, so, person and, and most of the time it makes no sense. A great product person starts from no. They seriously consider, they agonize over that shift, they agonize over where it's going, but a great product person starts from no. Not so great product Absolutely. people go, well, let's explore it for six weeks. And then you're just like guessing and checking your way to somewhere and hopefully not running out of money or time in order that, to get That's somewhere. where that, so. that idea of rooted in learnings is really important. If you marry your, your rooting of learnings and then find demand and you can marry those two together, I mean, like for the way that our product now works and, and kind of how we've been pitching it, the reason I was willing to say pivot by August is the conversations were completely different than the committee conversations. They were Got like it. night and day difference in terms of the pull, the demand, the progress in sales calls, all that stuff was like completely night and day. Things are just moved so fast. I used to say it was like we were getting product market fit on sales calls. And that's what really drove the decision for us more than anything else, which is we just started feeling, feel it, you feel fit before anything else. Yeah. Right. And we just started getting that feel. And it's like, wait, there's demand here. There's product market fit. True product market fit has everything to do with demand. It means your product fits in the market, which demand underscores that statement, right? No demand, no market. So just for background for anyone who doesn't know, we started off pure software product. Then we discovered there's this trust gap with pricing. So we added people. We were able to charge a heck of a lot more, but it turned into a, what's called a tech-enabled service. So there's, you know, you can't buy your software without us. You can't buy us without our software kind of a thing, which makes us different than consulting. Then we wanted to figure out a pure data way that we could get the insights we were trying to go after um, besides doing using our current software. That led us to basically, well, we need all the upfunnel data engagement yeah, data. Yeah, all, all the data. subscription data. Yep. Where do we start? Well, no data matters unless it's tied to financials. So let's start with financials. And then that's kind of kicked off the journey. And now our mission is to drive subscription revenue um, automatically. Um, and so nice. I think that for us, what took us, at least in the beginning, the way we described it was, what if you had new relic, but for your revenue? And it kind of went like a step further because you have... And, and this is going to be a little bit of tangent, but like you have all these infrastructure apps. Uh, Stripe would be an infrastructure app, AWS, et cetera. Then you have all the apps that people create, this canopy. And in the middle, you have this meso layer, which is like, well, every time I spin up a new project, I use GitHub. Every time I spin up Stripe, I want to plug in ProfitWell, right? Like that was kind of the idea. And then we would like study the data and then automatically make changes in order for you to make money. And that's what kind of retain kind of fulfills that mission really, really well. Um, and then price intelligently is, is, is a little bit behind, but uh, there's a path. And so I think like for us, what we found with our pivot was a widening. And I don't know if that was good because we basically figured out, we were like, 
okay, here's like this thesis. And then the problem that came was that the metrics product was going to have to be free because the market just didn't sustain it. And so bootstrap company going free. And so we kind of like committed to a very long journey <laughs> um, because, you know, we're partially unknowingly. Yeah, totally. And in hindsight, and like, we, we probably could have like hopped off at any one time. But I think there's a really interesting thing with our company where it's like a funded company could not do what we did up until now. Meaning like everyone was always like competitors, competitors, oh, Stripe will just build this. And it's like, they'll keep going up the stack, but we'll always be a little bit deeper because of where we started, but also like our focus, right? And what's kind of cool about that is like our market wasn't enticing enough until we're about this size, right? And so that kind of gave us like an interesting yeah, advantage. You but have I, much I guess, larger, you have much larger customers now and the work you're able to do with them is much more meaningful for them and for you. In a way that yields. originally yeah. giving it away for free was just the best move to get adoption, basically. Yeah, and, and we didn't, game. like, totally. And we didn't know this at the time. But what's interesting or, or what, what I'm kind of, of throwing out there is, like, I think we kind of saw this automated subscription revenue, like, that being the thing. And what's kind of weird about it is then we had to take a step back and be like, how do we get up that mountain? So it's kind of similar to what you, you're doing here where you're like, okay, we now see the vision and now you're taking a step back. I think you're just in your position and who your target, it's it's not compressed, but it's a little more compressed because you're kind of doing it a lot more thoughtfully. I'm doing a lot of this rash post hoc rationalization right now in terms of like how we got here. Although we did have that moment where we're like the new relic for revenue, um, which is not even a great metaphor given that they don't actually take action, but you hopefully get what I'm saying. But yeah, that's kind of where we're at. I didn't know where I was going with that, but I think it's that's kind of what our pivot was, not just pricing, but a little bit broader. Yeah, we, we tend to focus so much on evidence. And part of that is my co-founder, Marie, and like the way th she thinks about things. And she's always got like really great, great questions about things to question them, but not in a way where she's skeptical, more in a way where she's like looking to make sure we're making the right calls. And so that's put a lot more rigor into our approach. In the past, uh, at Kissmetrics, I definitely pivoted a few times and have written about it and all that stuff. We had uh, this lady named Cindy Alvarez who works over at Microsoft now, and she was our head of product. By the time she joined, we had already kind of figured a bunch of stuff out related to the pivots, and it was like a solid opportunity. But it's it's folks like that that are really helpful. I mean, she's written the book on lean customer development, literally the book and stuff like that since, you know, after kind of working together. And I think it's people like that that I always try to spend as much time as I can with as a founder and also figure out how to have them involved and get involved in the company because I'm looking to make sure that it's not just my crazy ideas and it's not just like some strategy that I have in my mind that might not meet reality. And so we, we just root ourselves in as much learnings as possible because I just love them. But at the same time, I definitely have the complex of like, oh, this is a great idea. I don't really care what other people think. I definitely have pieces of that in myself. So in order to keep us honest, I think I definitely want people around that have sort of much more rigor and have a much more evidence-driven approach than I naturally do. So again, that's just the caveat of like why historically I've kind of naturally gravitated towards finding people who have that sort of inclination. That way, like the things that we build much more aligned with the need. And, and I think for me, until like the customer is the king, right? Because initially you're building the thing and 
you don't have any customers and you got to make it up and get it going, whatever level that you're willing to do and how much energy you're willing to put in before actually getting real people using the product. I tend to really focus on my own instinct and what I think we should do. But the second the switch flips to customers, I myself quickly flip to like, okay, now we're evidence-driven. It makes sense. We got customers to talk to. They're using the product. We can just iterate the crap out of it until it works, right? That's the point that excites me the most. And I think like that's the piece that I would say I find most founders missing, even in your case where it's just like, hey, the onus isn't on the evidence and the research. The onus is on the vision and the founders having a strategy. I really want that information, I guess. I'm really hungry for it because I feel like the things we aim at and the goals we have are just much more refined. The thing that I think about with that is if I look at the first few years versus the most recent years, we had the feeling of rigor, but not actual rigor, I think. And what I mean by that is we would do what a lot of people do. We'd rationalize, oh, this or that, but we wouldn't like go through it. It's not something where you can get perfectly statistically significant data a lot of times when you're making some of these decisions, especially when you're trying to make them quickly. But we would we would have the feeling of rigor because we would think oh, we rationalize this in our head. I think in the last few years, what we've done really well at is basically started to get over the feeling of, oh, we're going to give something up. This is the other thing I think with pivots that people like kind of get wrong and just companies in general is like we pick a direction and we go all in on that direction once we've picked it. And then we always are looking for like reasons why we're wrong, but we try not to like make that a team-wide thing. And this is where... We always mess this up because we would say like, we'd always leave an opening. Well, this is what we're doing, but maybe we could do this and maybe there's this and maybe there's that, right? And that obviously isn't great for like a team that's growing, but I also don't think it's great for you because you're not going like voraciously in a direction. And I think correct what we're trying to do now is to kind of the last like puzzle piece of that now that we like have enough evidence and we feel like we, we are moving the right direction. We're trying to get rid of all ambiguity is we're trying to find our like our word or category or positioning or like two word kind of, you know, thing. But right now it's been interesting to kind of compare based off what you just said, which is like, yes, you need the rigor, but you also need to like make the decision and go after it. And yeah, don't be afraid to pivot, but only based off like that type of evidence. Um, and that was a big mistake we made. We waffled way too much for for a while there. And this also caused the market to not really understand what the heck we are. That's either. where the evidence helps a lot. On that note, like we've done a bunch of category work already and we don't even have our new website up and we feel very convicted based on the category work we've done. So it only increased our conviction as we started digging in and trying to figure out what should we call this? So that we don't end up in that boat of like people have a hard time understanding what it is because either we're calling it something wrong or we're sitting in an existing market that actually truly isn't aligned with what it is. And so I think I'm a huge proponent of category work. That doesn't mean you need to create a category. That just means you should be doing category related work to understand just like you would do Tam, Sam, all that good stuff. You want to be doing category work to understand how you fit into the category, whether you need to create a new one or not, in your opinion, or there is an existing one that will work for you. That's what I don't see companies doing to your point, right? Like like the category work takes a lot of time for companies to get around to. I think it's interesting too, because I think a lot of companies, it's like, this is a struggle. Like we're talking about like make a decision, do the rigor, these types of things. But in reality, like the indecision is what kills you. Like, but it's hard not to have it because the amount of like, cust dev we do now, nowhere near the cust dev we did in the beginning. But ironically, 
if we did the as much cost dev as we did now that we did before, it would have been like so much better for the business and we would have shaved months, if not a year or just more off of our timeline, right? It's just the paradox and the conundrum of like measure twice, cut once. And I think it's unavoidable unless you have a cushion and you've learned the lesson. Because I think if I was to start all over again, I would like get my personal burn down as low as possible and spend as long as it took, right? And then you have the opposite problem because I've seen some second time or, or like multi-founders who like take way too long and don't jump in and they kind of convince themselves out of things and stuff like that. And the irony there is like if we didn't jump into the enterprise search tool and, and what we saw there, we wouldn't have figured this one out as crisply and clearly as we have. I really believe we wouldn't have because we wouldn't have seen that person freak out with that access and seeing it. And and it it had everything to do with how we solved the original problem that we were going after. It had everything to do with that. There is no yeah. other enterprise search tool you could have used and found the thing that guy found. And so you had to use our version of it. We had to build our version of it, right? To get to a point of understanding, hey, in this space that we're really excited about, which is the fact that there's lots of tools and documents to sit in them, that we're definitely excited about that space and have been, and we haven't changed from it. It's only been evolving. I, I don't think we would have been able to figure out exactly what we did right now as quickly, even though it took time and we had to go build a whole bunch of stuff painstakingly, honestly. And a lot of that code is wasted now, right? But we learned. So I don't think code is wasted if you use it to learn. That's another little bit of a well, tidbit, I think, I think, on pivots. Yeah, well, I think what's really interesting is our buddy David, DC, over at Drift, yep. they went through three or four products. Yes. And they had like working products for all of them. And customers. had little beta groups and users and customers, right? And, you know, they had this little like kind of like snag it app, you know, they had for a while, they had a couple other things and before they went that. into conversational marketing or revenue acceleration, whatever they're calling it now. But like, yeah, it just gets interesting on in how people look at things. I just think that, you know, they, why they don't you just in, call your category revenue optimization? Does that exist? Sorry, side note, but yeah, my head. I'll run this by you offline, cool. but like there's a yeah. couple of keywords that we've been thinking about and we're just trying to figure out like, they all have a little issues here and there. Revenue acceleration do. is actually fantastic. The problem is, is now Drift has sucked up the oxygen and made that like a pre pre close thing, basically. And they'll go post funnel eventually as well, but or, or post close thing. But it's like, it's a weird thing to be like, we're revenue acceleration too. They're before conversion and we're after conversion, which yeah, doesn't really like make. Well, the thing sense. is, you're not built for revenue teams. They're built for revenue teams, right? I think that's where the the knock is on the difference, right? Yeah, like, that's true. They're built for revenue teams. It sounds like you're built for finance teams, plus plus, whatever that means. Finance product is, I think, where you're at, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, little, anyway. Yeah, and, it gets problematic because our personas are so all over the place depending on the product too. So This also goes all the way back to pivots, right? And the fact that like, if there's demand, you then go back to the demand and say, hey, demand, which are basically people that want your stuff. What do you think about this? What do you think about that? How would you, what would you call this? Like there's a lot of that work that gets done that like oftentimes early on, you don't have the time, energy or, or wherewithal to be like, oh, I better go ask them those kind of things too. Not just, hey, this is my product, use it, talk about it, blah, blah, blah. But it's also like, how, what's your impression of this? What do you say here? Like, for example, what we started doing is we started using the terminology in our demos and sales calls, the terminology of our new category or whatever. What we're looking for is whether unprompted, they use the that. person we were talking to repeated back to us. So we would get excited. Like, yeah, we're doing the demos. It's great. Like everything's fine. 
Marie and I on these calls, we'd get excited the second the customer said any any of the words <laughs> in our category. You're like, hey, 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 that's it, that's it. So that was some of the work. We also like have just been showing people our homepage with all the copy we have and the way we're framing it. Because here's the funny thing. No one can tell you the category name is correct. No one can tell you that. So it is almost as much noise and effort as coming up with the idea in the first place and the thing that's going to work because you need to find something that you have so much conviction on that you're willing to repeat it for multiple years until other people really truly start understanding it and repeating it. And that's why category creation is treated as like, oh, why are you creating a category? Oh, that's a bad idea, blah, 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 blah right? All good. Like I get it. It is a bad idea. If you can find an existing category, your product truly exists in an existing category. So I go back to demand and I go back to like learnings from pivots to like really hone in on like, how do we name this thing? What do we call it? And I think it has everything to do with demand at the end of the day, no demand, no business. So I think finding demand is really going to be the most valuable thing around any of these things around pivot or even category creation. It's like, if there's demand, you will figure out what to call it. If you're really trying to worry about it and figure it out. That being said, just like, is my startup idea a good idea or not? Same question can be talked about a category. Hey, is this category name good or not? I don't know. Every time someone asks me about idea these days, I'm like, you got any users? You got any customers? Cause like, you really don't want my opinion. You want theirs. And I'm happy to tell you what I think about their opinion, but like, I don't have an opinion about your business anymore, right? Like I stopped having opinions about most of these businesses from that perspective, because I just want to know what the customer thinks. I feel like this is part of wisdom. You have to like learn. You can't really get taught it. I don't know. It just feels like one of those things. And I probably heard this in the early days, the first time around here and like still couldn't convince myself to be disciplined enough to do it this way. Right. And that's what gets really interesting. That's what gets really kind of fascinating when you think about like some of the ways that people kind of develop their companies. I'm having an existential, a fun little existential crisis on like, what am I missing? What should I have missed? Is this something you can apply? I think it's one of those things where when you say the framework or you say these steps enough, people will hopefully hear it as soon as they can in their learning cycle, basically. Um, in here and in, in terms of like actually implement the changes. But yeah, I don't know if that thought's useful. This is all hard stuff, right? It's a hard stuff around building a startup. It's a hard stuff around like, how do you capture attention and how do you stand out from the noise? There's a lot of noise out there. A lot of different people trying to feed you different concepts and different ideas about things. Right. So I guess I like to get to the fundamentals. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I think that's good. Yeah. Pivots are a topic that always have an end, believe it or not. Ironically. That's been my experience. I'm trying to think if we're missing. There's always an else. Yeah. I'm trying to think of anything else. You definitely asked a lot of the questions that I've heard people ask me from the replies to my email that I sent. A lot of people want more details. So I'm really happy that we did this because I keep getting asked about more details because I basically called enterprise search, at least our thinking on it. And and I called it a dead end, like in my email. Uh, And so that really had a reaction, but that's how I feel it was based on what we learned. I hope someone figures it out at some point so I can copy them, to be honest. But like, it's a dead end from what we can tell uh, today. From an organizational wall-to-wall adoption standpoint, I think it's gonna it's challenging for anybody that's trying to do that. I feel like it's always great to talk about pivots 
when you've actually pivoted and been in the middle of one. So I really appreciate having the conversation now. But at the end of the day, these pivots are more art than science every single time I've seen them done successfully. All right, let's do a little recap. So we talked about pivots today. We talked about how you got to be rigorous in your thinking, and that's how to recognize a direction or a change in direction. Talked about going all in on a particular direction once you've made that decision so you're not waffling. What else we got? We talked about categories. Categories. Talked about demand. Common topic that comes up. Yeah, it comes up all the time. It'll probably continue to come up for a long time because we're in crowded markets now. Um, Cool. Yeah, I think that does sum it up. All right. Well, have a good week, everybody. Let us know if you have any questions, of course. And we didn't make one pivot reference to that Friends episode, which people of our age make. So I'm not going to make the actual pivot reference, but just know that it's in my head. It's a classic gift. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a five-star review of this podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. Also, make sure to subscribe to and tell your friends about Tradeoffs, a podcast from ProfitWell Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions.